Um, obviously, the Haiti team is not here today, um, and Doug's on the Haiti team, so he's not going to be here to preach. And usually when he's not here, James is up here, and I'm going to walk around, by the way. I can't sit down. I'm, I'm way too jittery. Um, and so when James is usually up here to preach, well, he's in the Haiti team, too. Uh, so as the other staff member, uh, Doug asked me to preach. So I tried to run this past him. I think you'll appreciate this. I'm looking out for you. I told him, Am I, if I'm part-time staff, can I just do like a 10-minute sermon? I, I thought that was fair, right? But he, he kind of said no on that one. So, so here we go. Um, I was going to go ahead and dismiss you right then, but I decided not to. Um, I just want to spend a few minutes with you this morning talking to you about the gospel, what it means. Um, one of the things that I, I've just, I've struggled with it for a long time. And so I, I wanted to, to kind of uh, talk about this. Could you define the gospel? Somebody came up to you and asked you to define the gospel. Could you do it? Um, if you had your iPhone with you, you'd probably look it up. Don't, don't Google it right now, okay? I've already done that for you. Um, I'm not going to call anybody, but could you define the gospel? So I, I, I did. I went to, to Google and I, and I looked it up. So here's, here's a definition of the gospel that I came up with. No, wait, I didn't come up with it. I saw it. Um, the the a definition is the proclamation of the redemption preached by Jesus and the apostles, which is the central content of Christian revelation. Does that work? You understand the word gospel better? Um, I, I do. I understood the word gospel better, which I think is the definition of a definition. So that's a good definition of it. But what does that mean? Do, what do we do with the gospel? Okay. Um, does that, does knowing the definition affect your day to day? Does it, does it deepen your knowledge of Christ? I don't think, I'm not sure that the definition does. So we want to try to figure out what we do with the gospel as well. Um, in Mark 1 15, Jesus said this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, okay? So when we start talking about the gospel, uh, we need to believe in the gospel. So what does that mean, okay? Can we believe in that definition? Does that do us any good? Does that do anything for us? Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure that it does. We're kind of back to square one. What is the gospel? What does it mean to me? Now, I've spent a lot of my life, like I said earlier, just kind of confused about what the gospel was, what Jesus' death on a cross and his resurrection meant to me. Um, what does that mean for my life? I mean, that's how we, that's why we celebrate Easter, right? I mean, do we celebrate Easter to celebrate a magical bunny that lays eggs somewhere? Do they lay eggs or does he hide eggs? I don't, I've never understood that either. <laughs> well, we won't preach on that. Um, no, we don't. We, we're trying to figure out the, that Jesus dying on a cross and raising from the dead affects our life in some way. Um, so I, I didn't know. And so because of my ignorance of the gospel, my, my Christian walk has been well, kind of frustrating. It's taken longer than I wanted it to, and it's kind of frustrating. So uh, let's go ahead and get to work. If you've got your Bibles, your iPhones, or your scrolls, whatever you end up using, um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. And we're going to spend a lot of time in, in a couple of these verses here. So verse 9 starts off, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, I knew that. Okay, I was kind of brought up in a traditional Baptist church. I knew that um, it, you don't have to go to church or be around Christians long enough that to know, to know that Christians live by a strict moral code. All right. Uh, that's kind of what the church always said to me. Um, and if you fail to achieve perfection, then you're out of the kingdom. Does that kind of resonate with you? How, how you you've viewed Christians beforehand? That's that's how I thought it was. So I began to understand Christianity, that they were people who lived a morally upright life. They didn't have sex before they were married. They didn't drink alcohol. They didn't go to R-rated movies. They only listened to Christian music. They were people that just lived a perfect life, okay? Now think Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, 
Okay. Now I don't watch the Simpsons, but Jennifer told me all about it. So, um, anybody, nobody believes that. That's awesome. Um, so think Ned Flanders. That was the stereotype. That's what I believed Christianity was all about. Okay. But one of the problems with that view is if you have that view of Christianity, one of the problems is, is you're going to meet Christians. Okay. And if you get close enough, you're going to find that they don't live up to that moral standard, either blatantly or in secret. Okay. Um, so how many of you have heard the church is full of hypocrites? When, when that's your view that Christians are people who live perfect lives and you meet Christians who don't live, live perfect lives, your first thought is, well, the church is full of hypocrites. And honestly, it is. That's awesome. And there's, and there's nothing really wrong with that, I guess, but, uh, it is what it is. So, um, if, if you, if you're looking at Christianity as a bunch of Ned Flanderses, and then you meet Homer Simpson pretending to be Ned Flanders, doesn't that stir up some animosity towards the church and towards Christianity? I think, I think a lot of us, before we uh, went past that line of faith, that's kind of the problem we had with Christianity. The other thing that we do, and it's, it's really uh, prevalent around here, is we just kind of pretend. A lot of people will just play church like kids play in house, okay? You come to church, you learn Christianese. You learn how to do, um, how, how to talk when you're in church. You learn when to raise your hand during worship. You learn... All the, all the Christian books you should be reading, all of that stuff. And we just kind of play church. The problem with this area of the world, there's churches everywhere, right? We're so over-churched and it's, it kind of gets watered down uh, just because there's no risk to our faith. Anybody in here right now, you're worried that someone's going to kick that door down and arrest us all for talking about the Bible today? There's nobody in here that's like that. I'm up here talking. And I, have, I don't have any worries about that at all. So there's no risk to our faith. And because of that, I think that for some of us, there's no depth to our faith. Does that make sense? So, um, so we just kind of do the right things. We learn the actions, but our hearts are far from him. Okay? And, and, and that's, so it's just a, all that is is a defense mechanism built on a misunderstanding of the gospel. So... That was my first view, what Christianity was, that people just lived perfect lives. Um, but then when I found out, they lived just like I did, but they just had a Lord's Gym t-shirt on and a WWJD bracelet. They were just like me. And so that was just kind of a weird thing for me. I didn't understand how that worked. This was especially true when I was in college. I, I initially went to a very conservative Baptist university, very conservative. And then I transferred to a very liberal state school. And... Uh, Polar opposites. The problem was is there were no difference in the clientele. In other words, the kids all did the same wrong things, but the kids at the Christian college, they went to chapel and they wore their you know Christian shirts and they acted like they, were, they weren't doing anything wrong while the, the state school kids were, they didn't care. Yeah, I'm sinning. What, what of it? And, and weirdly, I identified more than them because I, I thought they were real and I just didn't understand why the Christian kids couldn't just be honest about who they were. So I struggled a long time with what this gospel thing meant. Um, but anyway, let's keep on going in the text. Um, we'll go back to verse nine. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now he's about to list the people who are unrighteous, who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we probably, for me anyway, I'm reading through that list, and I kind of knew the definition of all of those, but reviler. Now, the word reviler simply means someone who has contempt for. So, you are a reviler if at any point in your life you thought that God said to go left, 
and you said, you know what, I'm going right. That's all that means. Okay, so you said to God, I know what you want me to do, God, but I'm smarter than you. So I'm going to do what I want to do. That's a reviler. Okay, and if if we can get a bit gritty here and honest, I'm not sure if that's possible since we're in church. If we can do that, you're on that list somewhere. Okay, but and so here's the game that we play. The game we play is we want to look and see what we were on that list and then compare ourselves to someone else. So so I'm. I'm, I've got some greediness here. I've reviled some, and I've done some of these other things, but, but I haven't done all nine, okay? I'm, I'm three of nine. I haven't done all nine, but you know who does all nine? My neighbor, Doug. I can use Doug because he's not here, and he's my neighbor. Is it true? No, you don't have to answer that. Um, my neighbor, Doug, does all nine, so I can see why Jesus would be upset with Doug, but not with me, man. I've only done three of the nine. Do you see the game that we play? The problem is, is all of our lives are an offense to a holy God. It's just the truth. And we, we're not supposed to compare ourselves to Doug or somebody else. Our comparison is with Jesus Christ, who is perfection. And so if we start, if we, if we shift our view a little bit and stop playing this game where I'm going to compare myself to somebody else, then it, it starts to make a little bit more sense. Um, so um, what we do, and I've completely lost my place. I knew it was going to happen. Um, well, let's just look at what happens next since I can't find my place. Because uh, this is really the first real perversion of the gospel. Uh, meaning that we're all good, morally upright people because we're not, right? We, I don't have to keep teaching on that, right? We, we're not good or, okay. Um, so let's look at the next part, verse 11. Um, and such were some of you. <laughs> Uh-oh. Again, this is what happened to me. I'm thinking we're all Ned Flanders, then I get to know them, and I find that they're not, okay? So through, uh, then I start picking up on church rhetoric through, via testimonies and sermons, and here's what Christianity became. It was... Christians that have changed their behavior, okay? So they're, they're not all perfect backgrounds. They all struggle with something, but they overcame it. That was, the, that was where I kind of morphed into. So they were once shady like I am, but through their will, through their accomplishments, they were able to overcome. Um, you know, they used to drink five bottles of Jack Daniels, and now they don't. They used to get high, and now they don't. Okay, they used to do this thing, and now they don't praise Jesus. That was the generic testimony. Um, because the bottom line is if by their will, by their might, by their ability, they could overcome those addictions and they're living life now the way it should be. That's, that's called behavior modification. And that's what I, again, I went from Christians are perfect when no, they're not to, oh, Christians are people who modify their behavior. Okay. So that was, that was the next place that I went because if life were a sprint, I could dominate morality. Okay. I mean, if it was just. A couple of days, I could be pretty good for a couple of days if I really tried, okay? But it's not. It's a marathon, right? This, this life that we're living, Christian life, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So um, the Christian path that we're on is a narrow dirt path. You, you read about that in the Bible. It's not a super highway. Um, because of our culture, fast food culture, and honestly, decades of poor church leadership and, and teaching from the pulpit, for some reason... We think that our Christian maturity and our Christian growth should happen quickly, and it doesn't. And because we we have been taught that it happens quickly and it doesn't, we get very discouraged when our Christian walk doesn't move as fast as we think it should, right? So um, it, it just happens. It doesn't happen as quickly as we want. It happens. It doesn't happen in a few months of dedicated study and prayer. It doesn't happen in a few years. It doesn't happen in a, in a few decades. You know when we're finally done? When Christ comes back or he kills you. 
Okay? That's, that's when we're done. Our entire life is the maturing process. And so if we understand that, then we don't get frustrated and we don't run away from God when we sin, but we run to him. And, and that's, that's, I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't want to do that. Um, so if you're, if you're really getting frustrated with your lack of, of spiritual growth, just breathe out, man. Calm down, relax, okay? We're all in the same boat, okay? Nobody's going to get there in this lifetime. Uh, now, some people might be farther ahead than others, and that's just how it is, but you're not going to ever reach fully maturity where you can just kind of relax and everything's perfect. That Nowhere in the Bible does that happen, okay? So why would it happen for us? So here's what I learned about myself. I was very good at keeping the rules for a, a while, a couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of months, okay? Uh, we'd go to a youth camp where there was a, a stirring time of worship, uh, where there was a, a, you know, the sermon was preached, you know, the, the, the gospel was preached. And so I went down front, legitimate tears, legitimate um, broken heart. And, I, and, you know, my get, friends would gather around me. We would all pledge together. We're never going to walk in these ways again. We're just never going to do this again. Um, and, and, and it was it was a legitimate time that we, we wanted to give back to God. And in the end, when we came back home, we did it again, you know. And the problem with that is, is now I've got shame on me. Okay, um, we would. My church experience was that everybody was okay. You know, uh, you'd come to church and everybody was happy. How you doing, brother? Brother John, what's up? You know, everybody was just this exterior of everything was fine. Nobody's marriage um, was struggling. Nobody had secret addictions. Nobody struggled with doubt. Nobody struggled with lust. Nobody struggled with had an alcohol issue. All we had in our church when I was growing up were people who had overcome such things. So there were people who had an alcohol issue, but now they don't. Does that make sense? That's, that's what I thought the church was. So the problem with that is, is when I'm trying with my own will to overcome such addictions and I'm not able to do it, but I look around and everybody is seemingly able to do it, well, that brings shame on me. And it's, it doesn't work. You know, we, we think that uh, Christianity doesn't work for you. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Well, it just doesn't work for me. Okay? <laughs> awesome. Amen. Um, in reality, the problem is, that in reality, you never really tried Jesus. You tried the same things you were trying before of trying to do it yourself, and you don't try Jesus, and so you don't think it works for you. And the problem is you can't make your life better by your own means. Okay? So let's go back to the, uh, that last verse. It's going to start clearing it up. This, this uh, text is going to clear it up. We're going to go all the way back to get it all in context. And I like to read this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Now, it says were. So let's look at how they got there. They used to do all those things. They used to be swindlers and adulterers and all that. And such were some of you. So let's see how they got out of that. It's not a matter of their sure will. So let's see what the text says. But you were washed. Now, I want to stop there. Let's play this game. In that text, you were washed. Are you the active or are you the passive agent in that text? Were you washed or did you wash? You were washed. It's on the board. Okay, I'm a teacher. I said board. I didn't mean to. Um, you were washed. So you're the passive agent in that text, right? You didn't say, well, look at all this sin on me. Look at all this muck and mire. I'm going to go wash it off, okay? You were washed, okay? Um, you were the passive agent. Something washed you. Uh, the, next, the next part of the verse, you were sanctified. Let's do this again. Are we the active or passive agent? Active. 
We're the passive. We were sanctified. And the last part of this verse, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Did you justify? No, you didn't justify. You were justified. Guys, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? That he did everything and that we did nothing. All right? We, we have to understand that. Paul even says that the faith that we have to believe in the gospel was given to us by God so that no man can boast. God literally did everything. We can do nothing. And when we start thinking that we can do stuff to make ourselves more holy in the eyes of God, well, then we take away our need for the mercy and grace of God. And that's, that's the real problem with a misunderstanding of the gospel. Um, in the end... Our ability to grow morally is inseparably linked to our understanding of the grace and mercy of of Christ and his cross and having been set free to pursue what we already are. I mean, you've all heard that Jesus Christ came to set us free, right? Doesn't the Christian walk sometimes feel like it's more of a burden? I mean, and so, so how in the world can we be set free if all these rules are just plop down on top of us and now we have to we have to do this or god's unhappy with us well that that again we were washed and sanctified and justified god's already done that so let's keep let's keep going on this um you can't make yourself in god's sight any more holy or blameless than you already are in christ when you get outside of that you are the author of your own holiness and your own righteousness um and even if you succeed then you just become self-righteous and arrogant. And quite frankly, we won't like you very much. Okay? I mean, who loves the self-righteous guy? The self-righteous guy does. Okay? So we, we can't make right what we have made wrong. Um, we relinquish our need for the grace and mercy of Christ, which is what Romans 1 says is the problem with the universe, that we don't need a Savior. We don't acknowledge our need for a Savior. And... So the the law is the evidence, okay? You've all heard the law, right? Ten Commandments. I just, I'll I'll do a felt board if y'all want me to. Um, the, uh, The Ten Commandments, the law was given to us for what reason? To show us that we can't do it, okay? So the the Bible, the Old Testament lays out the law. And then it lays out thousands and thousands of years of Hebrew disobedience to that law. It shows that they can't do it. And let's face it, have you ever read the Bible and you thought, why can't they just believe? They just saw the water go, and they just walk through it. You know, they just saw this, this, they're following a pillar of fire. Why can't they get this? And as soon as, you know, the leader's back is turned, they're building cows out of wood and worshiping that. Uh, A cow? Like like a lion, okay, I'm cool with that. But a cow? Um, I like hamburgers too, but come on, man. Um, So they just don't get it because it's thousands of years of, you can't do it. You can't. Um, and the Bible shows you that. Um, understanding this helps us understand why we need the gospel. Okay? Um, so you and I, in great rebellion against God, no righteousness of our own, in need of righteousness, washing, sanctification, and justification, um, all of that is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Okay? Jesus comes down, born of a virgin, lives a perfect spotless life, something that we have no ability to accomplish. Um, and that's, that's kind of that's where, that's where we're going next. Let's flip over to Romans 8, if you've got your stuff. Romans 8. Now, the first part of this you've probably all heard, but it's always confused me. 
Um, so I'll just I'll read the first sentence the way it, the way it stands, and I'll kind of break that down a little bit. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now the words therefore and now kind of refer to because of what I just wrote in verse you know in chapter seven. Does that make sense? So if we take out the therefore and now, which are just about what happened before, it reads, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? I'll say that again. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? That means God doesn't condemn us for anything that we do if we're in Christ Jesus. Okay? We'll, we'll go through the rest of this, all the way through 4. For there, for I can't say the four, word for there. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay? Now, what, what all this means is that Jesus fulfilled the law. Okay? He was perfect. He was spotless. He was blameless. He was what you and I need to be in order to be reconciled to God, but we have no ability to accomplish. Okay? Then what you would have happen in the, in the cross, his death on the cross and the resurrection, is what theologians would call double imputation. Now, not double amputation. That's generally a bad thing. But double imputation is good for us. Okay? And here's what that means. It means simply this. That Jesus' righteousness is imputed to you. Okay? So that when God looks at you, he sees you as perfect and spotless and blameless. Okay? If you're a Christian, God sees you as perfect and spotless and blameless. Are you? The answer is no. Okay? Um... But God sees you as that. Now, can you see where I'm going with the freedom? If you, if you have the knowledge that God sees you as perfect and spotless and blameless, doesn't that free you up? Rather than God's looking at us, oh, he broke that one, oh, that one, oh, whoa, he broke all those. Instead of that kind of a pressure on you, it frees you up because God sees you as perfect and spotless and blameless. And the, the wrath due to you, because let's face it, we, we, we've earned some wrath, right? Okay. Um, the wrath due to us was given to Jesus on the cross. That's why the cross was so severe. If you've ever thought to yourself, well, I've done this and this and God can't forgive that. Do you not understand how severe the cross was? All of that was given to Jesus in the cross. Okay? So the, all of the wrath due us for our wickedness, sinfulness, rebellion is absorbed by Christ on the cross. And the good news of the gospel is, is not that I live a, sin, a perfect life. Okay? It's not that that's how I live or not that I used to do these things and now I don't. All right? It's that I'm transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Okay? But transformation only occurs and grows correctly when I understand that I've been set free to pursue what God already calls me. Okay? It's important that we get this part. Okay? I'm, not, I'm pursuing blamelessness because God already calls me blameless. Okay? If I don't get that, when I do screw up, and it's often, this thing just fell off, didn't it? It just went for a ride. Awesome. When I do screw up, I'm loud now, then I want to run away from God. Okay? That's, that's not how it should be. God sees me as blameless. When I screw up, I should run back to God, ask forgiveness and repent. He's not 
mad at, he's not waiting for us to screw up so he can strike us down. That's just not how it works. And I think that so much of this, um, well, I call them hellfire and brimstone service, sermons that you get preached to a long time ago, has taught us that God is angry with us and he wants us to live a certain way. Okay, he wants us to love him. I'm getting ahead of myself again. Stop it. All right, so here I am over 20 years into my Christian journey and I'm still falling short. Okay, anybody else in that boat? So this is, some of you are saying, man, I'm struggling. It's okay. We all are, okay? If you didn't raise your hand, you, you should have. That's okay. It's not a big deal. But we're all struggling with this thing called life. Sin is beating us all down, okay? We don't, we don't sin. We're not sinners because we sin. Do you realize that? We sin because we're sinners. It's in our nature. So it's not like your sin is something that you can overcome on your own. It's just not how it works. All right, so any facade of, of perfection that Christians have it all together is either a lie or your misunderstanding of that person, okay? We all struggle with sin. Now, that said, we learn to struggle well. Does that make sense? We, str- we want to struggle well, meaning we don't blatantly pursue sin, but we're still gonna, it's still a fallen world. We still live in a fallen world, and so that's just, we're going to sin, Okay, uh, we still need to walk by the power of the spirit and not our own. And that's, I think, the uh, what what our our life is supposed to be about trying to learn more about how to walk in the spirit. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is evidence that all of your sin was absorbed on the cross. Okay, so let's do this. How many of your sins were future sins when Jesus died on the cross? All of them. All of them. Okay, nobody's that old. Okay, Jeff Gillis is not in here. So nobody's that old. You're welcome, I love. Anytime you can slam on Jeff, you, you got to take that opportunity. Okay, so if, if today is not a place that God knew about back then, but a place that God was back then, because God is outside of time, then how confident should we be in the cross's ability to take away our sins? Okay, he knew all about your sins. He knows right now what sins you're going to commit tomorrow, and yet he still died on the cross to take away your sins. There, we need to have confidence in that. He knew and still made a way. So here's my question. Here's how I'm going to kind of land the plane. Okay, don't get too excited. There's still a couple pages. I don't think a lot of us get this, man, and I didn't get it for a long time. Um, I think that a lot of us get it intellectually, but we don't get it in our heart, okay? And just to be fair, do you, remember, do you know in the Bible where it says that the demons believe that Jesus is the Christ and they shudder? Now, they believe, but they're not believers. Do you see the difference? So I think that belief is more than just um, here are the facts, okay? That I, I believe those facts. I think that belief is I've been transformed by this reality, okay? So... I need you to hear me say this. If you have no transformation, it really should bring about questioning your salvation. Now, I'm not saying that you wake up at 4.30 in the morning, read Jonathan Edwards for three hours, and memorize the book of Galatians, if you even know who Jonathan Edwards is. It's not what I'm saying, okay? But here's what I am saying. I've got just these legitimate questions. Is there a yearning in you to know God, to serve God, to walk with Him and make much of Him? Is there a yearning there? Is that longing there? Is there a desire there? Because I'm just going to lovingly tell you that if that if that yearning for God is not there, something's broken. Okay? Now, maybe there's a hardness of heart that occurred you long ago when God said, go left. And you said, you know what? I'm going right. And there's a hardness of heart there. 
Maybe you were wounded deeply by someone who, who bore the name of Christ. Okay? Maybe you were a part of a church that was unbelievably unhealthy. Okay? That, that, that happens. There are multitudes of reasons why the flame of yearning could just go down to a spark. Okay? But Hebrews 4 clearly says, Let us worry if we have not entered into his rest. Okay? So do you love him? Now, not do you love the church. Now, I hear that a lot. I love New Life, and that's cool, man. I love that. But if, to be honest with you, if New Life Community Church is not pointing you towards a love for Jesus, then we are failing miserably. Okay? We are not here for you to love the church. And if that's, if that's where your love ends, then New Life has failed. Okay? We are to push you towards Jesus Christ. So not do you love the church. Now you, you can love the church. I, I didn't mess that up. Y'all can love the church if you want to. But we, we as a church need to be pushing you towards Jesus. So you do, do you love him? Do you want to worship him? Do you want to follow him? Do you want to serve him as strongly as I can put it? If you don't, I would question my salvation for the good of your eternal soul. Okay, because this is too important to not know. Okay? Um, and I think, I think the reason I feel kind of provoked on this whole topic is because I know that some of you are exhausted trying to earn what was freely given to you. You're working so hard to be in right standing before God when the bottom line is Jesus died on the cross so that you can be in right standing before God and you can stop all of the exhausting work that you're trying to do. You can be free to live. uh, You can be free to try to live blamelessly. And if you don't and you won't, you can go right back to Jesus and he's not mad at you. Okay, I know there are people that are working really hard to try to earn something they've already gotten for free. Okay, the other thing is I know that there are some people in here who have given up on something that they've not ever even tried. Okay, because we're still trying to do it on our own. You know, Um, you're like my kids when Jennifer cooks something new for the first time. I don't like it. Never even tried it. I still don't like it. I mean, I don't understand that. They've never even had it. And Jennifer's a good cook, so I don't get it. Like my kids at the supper table, some people already have it in their minds that it doesn't work, okay? And it does work. So, um, meditate on these questions in your heart. Answer these questions to yourself in your own heart, okay? Will you submit to the holy God of the universe and allow him to be your motivation in all you do? All right? Will you allow the spirit of God to move the gospel to work in your heart and life? Okay, now I can only answer that question for me, all right? So let's pray real quick. And we're getting out early. Don't tell Doug. Janie the spies in here. I better pray. <laughs> Father, I thank you for these men and women you have drawn to this place. My hope is that you would open our eyes and our hearts to your goodness and grace. Even those of us who have walked in here this morning in a tough spot, uh, maybe we're religiously exhausted um, just having a hard time believing that you could love us, that you could care for us, that you pursue us. But I pray that you would melt all of those lies away in the light of your cross and the light of the fact that you knew every hair on our head before one was even there. You knew all the days of our life before one would live out and Jesus still went to the cross. And you don't regret your salvation that you've extended to us. I pray that you would draw men and women to yourself. I pray that there might be a keen understanding of the gospel maybe for the first time. And maybe that, I pray that we would be able to trust in you, that you love us, and that we have free reign to pursue you, not because we're clean or unclean, but because you declare us clean in Christ. 
And God, I just pray as we turn our attention to our week ahead that you may stir up our affections for you. Help us for it's your holy, holy name we pray. Amen.